Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Hope you will, and I hope you are enjoying this year's 50 Most Relevant. I don't know if you can believe it. Number 32 is where we're at. We are well and truly into the early 30s and almost halfway through this countdown. We're talking who I believe are the most relevant players in your fantasy footy seasons for Supercoach Dream Team and AFL Fantasy. It's been about a week since we've had him on, so we had to get him back. Kane is on talking about Zach Merritt. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well, mate. Very, very well. It's You're flying to starters. Thank you're doing you. a good job. You're churning through. I, I think this is a guy that, He's hard to place for mine. And I think that's probably where he land, why he lands at 32. Because yeah. part of you goes, look at the numbers. Look at how many years he's produced those elite numbers. Like, this is a guy that should be top 20. Yeah. And then the hard thing is, because he's so consistent with his numbers, he doesn't give you that baked in value often that some of these <laughs> other guys in the 50 most relevant give you. And, you know, when we're talking about going into the 2023 season, we know in these formats you're talking about in AF, DT and Supercoach discounts and you know yeah. underperformances from previous years or battling injury in the previous years that's really important in giving us great value and it is and I'm sure as we'll get into Zach is just so reliable while albeit such a high scorer it's probably why you have to have him in this 30 range because how do you place him much higher or much lower yeah, and that's exactly the the dilemma that that I've had. And like you said, some will think MJ, you're you're a dozen to two dozen spots off. Others go, yeah, he's always great, but never quite enough of a reason to to make me have to select him. Let's talk about this 27 year old midfield eligible Essendon bomber. Some top scores last year. In fact, his career high AFL fantasy and dream team score came last year against North Melbourne. It was a 172 while his 150 against the Tigers in super coach. Well, very, very good. Still a couple of dozen points shy. And what he's done is his career best score it was in 2021. It was a 168 against the Sydney Swans. His prior set of one, 7.2 for you in AFL fantasy and dream team, which means he's just shy of the 950k marker in AFL fantasy and just a touch of 972,000 in dream team for super coach. Another 110 plus season, 112.2 means he's priced at a 617,000. And really, Kane, we talk about him as a premium, reliable, durable, consistent, scores in every column. Well, there are some limitations to his game. He just is there every single year. Yeah, he is. And that's the thing, MJ, that I think is the reason he's not higher is that it really hasn't been since 2016 and 17 in DT yeah. where he was that real top, top liner. Yes. He's always just around the mark, you know, in that 6 to 12 type of range. And that's probably something that does make him a bit tricky is you go through a season and not a lot of people have him. You're sort of thinking, do I go for him? Do I go for someone else? He's not one of those guys, you know, you think about the seasons McRae's had in the past yeah. or a Lockie Neal or a Tom Mitchell or even a Laird last year where you're like, this guy is clear in a way the best player. They're yes. on fire this season. They're killing me each week. There's a portion of the competition that have him. Merritt often seems to just slide under the radar a bit. And I think, 
the funny thing is the season that a lot of people were really on board was that 2018 season yeah, where round one, he was concussed in the opening quarter. And I think that sticks with a lot of coaches is going, oh, like I finally started this guy. I paid that big price packet because he was coming off back-to-back 117 plus seasons, which was remarkable. But ever since then, it's been really, really good. You know, 108 in 2019 and adjusted 115 in 2020. 2021 was a 110 and last year was a 107. Like those are amazing, amazing, amazing numbers. But outside of maybe that 2020 season, which we know things were a little bit different with the shortened games, it was it was hard to get a read on him. And I think the thing that jumps out to me as well is you're always building that tag narrative. He always yes. seems to be the guy that gets the attention. Yes. And he's so versatile that you do worry at times, could he be moved to the wing? Could he play half forward? Could he play half back? He's such a good kick. Mm. We know we always want our guys for the most part as inside midfielders and Zach has played that role too. So I think the tag and the role changes, especially with some of the recruits that we've seen Essendon bring in over recent years. For sure. You know, we've had the draft pick of Darcy Parrish and then development in the last two years as being, you know, a key centre-bounce guy. Big money signings of of Sheil and Smith. Mm-hmm. And then you look at even recent times, Sardis, Hobbs. Like there's some there's some guys that you can start telling yourself, Oh, where does he play? We know McGrath's rolled through there too. So I think mm. there's a lot of uncertainty. But every year we end up at this point where he's in the mix again. And he's yet again in and around the mark of a top 10 midfielder. Statistically last year, one of his better years in, in AFL standing, second in the league by average per game for uncontested possessions, sixth for disposals, eighth for inside 50s, 10th for score involvements. From a fantasy perspective, pumps out a 107.1. So seventh for midfielders last year, top 10 across the competition. So while we talk about these Oh, unknown, maybe, yes. No, he's still amongst the 10 best scorers by average in that format of Fantasy and Dream Team. 12 times 100 or more last year. 10 of them 110 plus. Six over 120 and a career high 172 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. And he really only had two stinkers, those two tagged games where his only scores under 80 all year. In Supercoach, for a third consecutive season, pops a 110 average, goes at 112. Average the 11th highest average in the formats and ninth for overall midfielders. Scores 13 tons, 11 of them 110 plus, eight of them 120 plus, seven of them 130 plus, and four monsters 140 or higher. And he just drops the scoring under 90 in three separate matches here's the piece that really has coaches excited by him because there was a six game patch last year that you were having one of two experiences around Zach Merritt you loved everything he was about or you were cursing his name weekly because from rounds 15 to 20 he delivered a six round average in super coach of 134.5 with a top score of 147 and just the one score under 130. It's an incredible hot streak. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, that same stretch of games, he goes on an average of 132, a high of 172, and a low of 118. And what's crazy to think about all these things is as great as those moments were, 
last year was his lowest scoring and statistical in some other columns year for the previous two seasons before it. So as much as we look at this amazing stretch, there are still pockets where coaches go, he was so damaging. You could have got him at the perfect time last year after that ankle injury and bye pop. Maybe this is the narrative we see since 2016. He's barely missed a game. I think it's five games since 2016. Three of them were this last year where he miraculously recovered from a syndesmosis surgery. Only missed five games in, what, seven years. Hasn't dropped his average over under 100 with so much unknown in the game. There is a narrative and story you tell yourself with Merritt and go, I know what I know what I know and I am taking risk out of the game and I'll start with Zach Merritt. Yeah, I think that's 100% the narrative, MJ. If you are going to start and you have to tell yourself is that he'll get there. And looking at the previous seasons, well, I don't think there's that 117 upside. Sure. There is some upside in terms of, I think he could get to a 110, the best case in, in DT, could get to a 115 in Supercoach, which, which has him as a guy that you're happy to start for the year. Yeah. Again, you've mentioned the durability stuff, which is really, really strong. I think it is the upside, though, that does concern people splashing that type of cash. Yes. You know, you guys, I've, I've listened to the last few podcasts in particular, you focused on those guys coming from that 80s to that. 90 range and making the jump. Yeah. Tom Green, Caleb Sarong. You know, earlier we did Chad Warner, Davies Uniac. These are guys that mm. will make the jump in my mind eventually. Now, is this the year? Who knows? We have to work that out. But if they do make that jump, that is a substantial amount of cash you are saving in your starting squad that can be reallocated. Massively. Especially, again, I'm more of the belief, again, new coach. I don't know how Zach can have a more plum role. I think yeah. the versatility, they've got to work out a few things with their team. As I said, they've got, a, they've got a mix of guys you know, Sheil and Hepler 30 plus now. Merritt's yep. right in that sort of sweet spot where he's been in the league in you know, a near on 10 seasons now. Parrish mm-hmm. is in that age where he's he can step in and dominate games. Caldwell but there's obviously also. Yeah. Caldwell as well, another guy they traded for. But then there's also those young, high quality draft picks. Like, how do you mix that in? We haven't even got to an Archie Perkins. Like, yeah. how do you blend all these guys in? That's it. What's the plan? Is it something that you look at? We're going to go best team for the first few weeks, see how we go. If we mm-hmm. don't get the results we want, do we start you know, looking more to the youth? Those are all things that for mine are unknown with Zach. So I, I personally yeah. got him regressing slightly. So clearly for me, he wouldn't be a start. The other reason I think he's more of an upgrade target is it seems like MJ, there's always two games a year mm. where he goes sub 60. And in particular in a DT and a super coach with the way the pricing moves, Mm-hmm. based on the three-round rolling, always gives you a look to get him at a good price. Yes. Because he's point. not a massive ceiling guy. I know he had the huge game last year where he went absolutely berserk with a 172 in DT. But again, that conversely was a 140 in Supercoach. So yes. unless that monster ceiling you know, comes after you know, the really quiet game, yeah. It's pretty likely that if when he drops this, you know, last year it was a 51 and a 55. Now, mm. one of them came in round nine, one of them came in round 21. Clearly, if it comes in round 21, you either, either don't have him or you're stuck with him. It's not one of yes. those ones where you're sort of monitoring for an upgrade at that point. But they 
always do seem to come. That's the that's a the couple issue. Of years. Yeah, the previous year it wasn't as bad. It was a sixty-seven and a sixty-four in mm-hmm. DT. But we know in a three-round price movement, that's enough to generate a 30, 40, 50K drop, depending on what you've done either side. So for me, when I think he's going to get to that stage where he's, you know, if he's 105 in DT, maybe, you know, a 110 in Supercoach, he's yeah. hovering. But again, what we saw last year that was so beneficial for coaches is he was 99 pre-buy in DT, yep. came home post-buy with a 113. Now that mm-hmm. is top eight midfielder number. That's a, yeah, Super coach. First 11, 106. Post by 117. Again, those are top eight numbers. And that's mm. where, for me, he's not a starting squad guy. Yeah. But he's an upgrade guy you always have to watch because he's already on that borderline. But in stretches, he can match it, especially if you can cash in with the upgrade at a good price. Because which is what happened last year. Because he does seem to give you year. a look. He yeah, gave which is, you which that is what happened most year. It's happened most years, MJ. That's the thing. And it, Weirdly enough, it was around nine last year. It was around nine in around twenty twenty. All right, well, we're talking about so, a, a post buy upgrade is really where ooh, the, the statistics are, are lending itself. Yeah, and, it. and that's so important for someone that's at that top echelon of capability. I, I think if you're starting him, you believe he's got five points upside. He's a captain option each week. Uh, that's it. And that's the hard thing as well as we start a new season. You know, we've got some history on guys that do tag. Yes. We've also got a lot of new coaches. So how who, how do they manage their list? Do they employ anyone to do those roles? And, and for mine, Zach is still that tag target. Tag target that has shown that when he does get attention, he can be heavily impacted, and that's Absolutely. part of the issue. Yeah, and he is at the while there is still another buy round that comes after him. He does have round fourteen buy round. So when you have a guy that's got a tag target, it always depends on when you've owned them, that it really hurts. For example, last year in round 20, he he has this bumper score, 172 in fantasy and dream team, 140 in super coach. The week following, nobody should have been surprised. Whenever you have such a prolific game-changing game, that the next opposition team see that and go, we need to stop what he has done and who he is for us as a team to maximize our opportunity to beat him. So that is the key is when you see these guys have banner games, know that if you've noticed it as a fantasy coach, elite AFL clubs with opposition analysis coming out the wazoo, they're going to see it too. And that's the thing, MJ, is four highest scores in DT last year we're all wins. Now, did Essendon win because he played well? Did he play well because Essendon wins? However you want to slice that. In Supercoach, four of his top five scores were in wins. And and that is why he draws the tag target so often after those games. Is You only have to throw on the tape and watch what he did last week. And you're like, this guy was everywhere. This guy's so creative. This guy's such an important cog in their team. Well, how about we put someone on him to shut him down? Like, it's just too obvious sometimes for opposition teams, especially when he doesn't have a lot of help at times in that midfield kicking-wise. You know, we know, you know, Ridley can be a really nice kick. We know Redmond can be a good kick, but through the midfield, it has been a knock. You know, Parrish, Shield, Caldwell, Hobbs, that's not their game, is to be attacking and kickers. It's more to, you know, get the contested footy, keep it moving. So, 
Zach stands out in that regard and draws a lot of for hate. That reason. Yeah, for that reason. I think with him, if you can if you trade into the tagged game, it always hurts more than if you've already received the benefit of that ceiling game. James Sicily at times has been that same sort of guy where they can go on runs and if you trade into the tagged game, you know it hurts. For example, after that big score, he goes 55 in DT and fantasy, 72 in Supercoach. So if that's your first time owning merit for the year, you feel the pain as opposed to if you had him the week before, you're still sitting at a fortnightly average of a 110 plus in fantasy and a 105 in Supercoach. So the the tag game still hurts, but it's minimized a little bit when you've got the ceiling there. It's interesting that this narrative about the Essendon midfield has also been there for so long too about where does it fit how does it fit so I I think your summary is right too around not just the tag but that he's they need him desperately through the midfield to for any chance of being competitive let alone winning yeah the thing as well MJ with those guys that do have the tag target is you do want to see you almost want to see volatility and what I mean by that is if you know they're volatile up and down and Sicily probably is more of a guy like that. Whereas for me, Merritt, he's not volatile in that sense. He'll have a couple of tag games, Mm -hmm. but he's very consistent. I would actually be more interested in starting him if he was more volatile, if he had big swings, because then what I'm banking on as a coach is that he's going to start hot. And then five or six rounds in, I'm going to force the other coaches to jump on on at, at a higher price, having missed those scores. You know, yeah. I'm going to test their patience a little bit. Are they able to just keep watching him pile it on? And he's not really like that though, is he? He's very much no. metronome for yeah, 16 to cool. 17 weeks. There's two bad scores Volatiles, yeah. and there's three good scores. Yep. Whereas we know there's guys that go bang, 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 bang. And then there's a dip and then it's, it's all guns blazing. So that's yeah. the thing. Sicily, you know, he can be like that. If he gets yes. 16 marks, Whoa, he can go 120 for a stretch. Now, Merritt did that last year, which was impressive, but we know a 172 is likely to be the highest score of his career. So I agree. for me, when you're very consistent and you have a tag risk, it tells me you're more of an upgrade target. Whereas there's some guys that if they come out and just go nuts, they do put a lot of pressure on other coaches to go, was this the guy that's going to be the number one scorer this year? Yeah. And I just, and this might be the cheapest I get him. Yeah, But Merritt doesn't really test you in that regard. It would have to be a stretch like you mentioned he had from round 16 to 20 last year where he's going 133. Now, if he did that for the first five weeks of the season, you start him and now you put a lot of pressure on coaches going, is this guy going to get away from me? Is he going to be so expensive? But we know with that magic number at the start of the year, it would require something so big. And I think for me... You sit back, you see the Essendon mix, you know yeah. that he's probably going to be there at a decent price at some point as you're finalizing your midfield. That's true. And I don't see the burn factor of him being the guy that's the number one scorer and that you really want to have, or, you know, 60, 70, 80% of coaches want in their team if they're going to make a, you know, a good charge of the season. I think that's a really nice point that, that you've made around him is to make him a starting squad option, it's you believe the big games are coming, which makes him a captaincy consideration in your starting squad. If you don't believe he is that, 
then he's your upgrade target. As a reference point, here's the first six weeks of what Essendon are dealing with this year. Oh, sorry, MJ. The one thing I will add in there is Lockie Neal is probably the guy that I'm describing that merits. Yeah, that's a good parallel. Can be can that's be really parallel. up and down, and and that's where I think it is appealing for a guy like Neal. Is if you believe in Neal, you know that there's probably going to be a stretch of 125 plus. Now you also know on the flip side when you average 107 for a season, there's going to be some stretches where he averages 90. So that's sort of what I mean by merit is merits that little bit more consistent a little bit less consistency of big ceiling games. Now, remarkably, they nearly ended up at the same spot, but they did it a very different way. Yeah, they did. So that's yeah. where I mean, if you're going for a starting squad pick and you think they're going to get there at the same same way, go for the guy that has the big ceiling. Yeah, because at absolutely. Least I get that approach of if he comes out hot and other, pe- and other people are drawn into it. I've banked the scores. Yeah, Spot on, MJ. Yeah, all right. But before we wrap up the podcast and talk about his draft, Hawthorne, Gold Coast, St Kilda, GWS, Melbourne, and the Pies. So there's a couple of new coaches that come through there as well. So uh, while you might look at that and go, well, based on 2022, I'm pretty smooth sailing for the tag. Well, there's some things we just don't know. And anytime you're like, I'm not sure, and you're spending the amount of financial outlay it is to get merit, it's always better to go take what you know and you're confident about rather than I think this will work out for me when you're spending that top dollar. There's a narrative that you can start him, make him a VC or C option, and he can fly out of the gate and do what he did in that six portion week to the back of the year. There's also the he's a safe as houses hundred guy and always around the mark of the top 10. That's the thought. Or you're doing as Kane has suggested. You're waiting for that game that completely handbrakes his his money-making and really send him into a decline, and you're waiting to pick him up at basement price, knowing that he is a really reliable performer and getting him at the price point of a 95 or 100 as opposed to a 105, 115, those are season-making games. L- let's talk about where he goes on draft day, uh, Kane. I'm fascinated on your take because... The volatility hurts a little more in, dra- in drafts week to week as opposed to an average, but also the durability, the consistency, the reliability it means it's going to be really there. I think he's one of those guys that, depending on the format you play, probably might determine where you rank him a little bit more than others. So let's talk AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. He's a top 10 mid pretty historically over the past couple of years, which makes him an M1 you placing him in a similar spot in 2023? Yeah, he's right on the borderline for me, MJ. He's that M1, M2 in a 10-team league. I just think he's right on that threshold. I think there's a couple guys below him that might catch people's eye. Now, now he's really close. You know, maybe guys that are averaging less than him. You know, McRae is an obvious name that's been bandied about. I know Smith's been battling, Bailey Smith's been having a little bit of a balance and setback pre-season just with a bit of general soreness. But again, it's also early January. But I think there's some guys yeah. below Petrarca, Cripps, Josh Kelly, Bont. You can see yeah. a few guys that people might, you know. There's some names more, there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but also Zach Merritt's a name too. And yeah. he's yeah. a guy for me that I think he's in that, you know, 8, 9, 10, maybe all the way to 13 mid-range. Yeah. Super, super safe. I, I think for me, this is where 
you sort of got to think past them, just outside of that midfield group. Okay, who else is available in the draft here? Because yes, it's a bit of a blanket. It's a bit of a blanket, to be honest, for me when I'm in that range that Zach's in. So yeah, I'm, I'm all over. He's he's a, he's probably a third to even fourth rounder, MJ, for me, just because yeah of the value in these other lines. Like we know Doherty, we know Dunkley. I don't know if I'm super disappointed if I come out of my midfield draft in that selection and I've got Noah Anderson instead no. of Zach. If that makes like that's where it gets really close to me because I'm like, well, Noah Anderson, I think I've got him at about a 103, 104. If I've got Zach coming down, the draft value, like there's all those type of things. Mm. Like I just don't think he's that big burn. Now I think he's just he's just a you know hit two runs, keep the run rate ticking over. I don't think he's totally. a four yeah. or a six. I, I just think he's that guy. You just keep it ticking over. Um, but he just, history would say, MJ, that he's going to be there. He's going to be there again. Every so year. maybe someone will yeah. get really, really good value. But I just think when you've got a bit of a blanket in that regard, in the midfield, in that sort of range, it probably really does depend where you're picking at. Like what are you picking at pick- and how you rank the top line forwards yeah. and defenders probably does. I think in, you know, fantasy and dream team, he'll, well, I don't think he'll go in the first round. I think that's too far, too early. The second round, I can see some leagues picking him off there. Third round's probably about right. So it's the early third will be his, probably his ADP. Yeah. I guess in, I'm, in saying, I'm really happy with him. If I've got pick, you know, a late third, not maybe not quite on the turn. That's probably too totally. late, third and fourth. But if I'm like, got if I've got pick thirty-seven and thirty-eight, yeah, like because I'm just thinking, oh, well, if I don't get merit there, I probably get Bond. You know, that's the yeah, type that's of right. thing. Like, you're I, not I'm too not, devastated. I'm not though. upset, but I think yeah, I think if you're in the thirty to thirty-eight range, you, you're not really going wrong. I think if you're much earlier, um, it might well, just then be you a think bit... he's a top. You think he's a top yeah. six, eight mid again. Which which yeah. is totally fine to which believe. Is, I think which is totally fine, and he definitely could be. Yeah, in Super Coach, uh, while he's ranked a top ten midfielder by average, below him you've got Steele, Andrew Brayshaw, Patrick Cripps, and and I'd be really surprised if Merritt's ADP is uh, ahead of those guys. So for me, I've got him as an M two, and, and he'll probably start flying off draft boards in a comparable spot to what you're talking about where in that third round people start looking at him the fourth round he'll absolutely start getting picked off but yeah. again it'll be all it's dependent forwards on the mj isn't it because the hard thing is we know that yeah. the forwards at the top end are quite good and then it falls away dramatically so i wouldn't be shocked if that fifth forward even sixth forward has gone before him like that just just purely on the positional scarcity of that position because you just yeah, keep scrolling down and you see, you know, a Butters at an 86, a Rosie at an 88. You know, we usually tack on 10 points. So if you've got them going 95 in a really shallow forward line, that's pretty comparable to the 105 that I've got merit at. So that's the type of thing that comes yeah, into, into your draft, which is always a challenge this time of year. Yeah, it absolutely is. Hey, mate, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you on this episode. Thank you for your great work, my friend. No problem, MJ. Pleasure.
If you want to go and read the article on Zach Merritt is online for you now. The link's uh, coachespanel.tv. That is where you can go and check that out. It's also where you can become a Patreon supporter where for just a couple of bucks a month, you can get exclusive access to a bunch of different hidden groups, additional articles, podcasts, and even get these podcasts 24 hours early. Well, Close enough to some days, uh, maybe 23 hours early. If you want to go uh, and check out any more of the other episodes we've revealed so far, wherever you're streaming this one, you can go back and check it out. So who is number 31 in the 50 most relevant? We often talk about the third year as the third year breakout potential season. This is where guys start to not just show moments and glimpses, but for big chunks of the season become premiums. Tomorrow, we are talking about a third-year player, but I don't think he's going to break out. I don't think he needs to. Who is he? I'll tell you tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. <laughs> <laughs>